This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. Another episode of Mama Mystery. I am your co-host, Austin <laughs> Evans, and here we have our beautiful host, Aww, Kelly. Shucks. Listen, it has been four weeks, I think at least. Four weeks four and two five. hours. And the reason I say four weeks and two hours is because we've been trying to film this for two hours and Kelly couldn't get the mics to work. <laughs> I am challenged sometimes we when it would comes have, to technology. We would have had you an episode two hours ago. But, but I couldn't get my freaking mics to work. So, patience. Why does it have to be so complicated? Let's run it. Anyway, so it's been about four weeks since our last podcast, so I'm really sorry about that. I know some of you probably thought I gave up already, but I didn't. We're still here. We've just been really busy, right? Yeah. We've just been really busy. We've been really busy. We had to postpone our wedding because of COVID. Fucking COVID. Jack broke his arm. Jack broke his arm. And you know what? None, 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 everything else is nobody's business. Okay, well, I also rear-ended someone on the day that we were supposed to get married. Then our furnace freaking quit working. It was just like a lot of things. A lot of things. But we're fine. And, you know, we're still in great spirits. Everybody's happy and fine. Let's run it. Ah, It's been a whirlwind. Anyway, but we're back. Here we are with an episode about... Who are we talking about? Scott Peterson. Scott Peterson. What do you know about Scott Peterson? Nothing. Literally nothing. No idea. He's been living under a rock. Well, to be fair, you were probably like, what, four when he, you know. I have no idea who Scott Peterson is. Well, you're very young. Okay. So anyway, today's episode is going to be about the disappearance and murder of Lacey Peterson, which is Scott Peterson's wife. And it might be kind of a long one because this case is very popular. Most people know about it, except for Austin, obviously. And most people have an opinion one way or the other about if Lacey's husband, Scott, is the one that is responsible for her death. Scott was sentenced to death back in 2005, but that ruling was recently overturned and converted to a life sentence. And now, just last week, the California Supreme Court also decided that his case deserved a second look to determine whether or not his conviction should be overturned and if he should receive a new trial. So this is huge news because if he does get a new trial, then he could be found not guilty and then he could be free. And this so. happened 15 years ago. Yeah, 2002 is when this happened. So 19, 17 years ago, 18 yeah. years ago. Yeah, but um, he was convicted in 2005. You know, the process is always super long. So 
But anyway, it all happened in 2002. This all stems from a juror on this case who failed to disclose that she had previously been involved with another unrelated legal proceeding. She had been asked whether she was ever a crime victim or involved in a lawsuit, and she said no, which was dishonest. So from what I understand, this seemingly simple screw up or piece of dishonesty, I guess, could grant Scott Peterson a whole new trial. So, I know, the whole system is just so bizarre. There's just so many little, like, cracks and little things, you know, that you can use to, like, get out of things or to get new trials. And then for some people, they are literally at their the end of their rope and are just done for. Like, Never one of these days, we're going to have to talk about making a murderer in the Brendan Dassey case um, that goes along with that. There's actually two cases in making a murderer, Steve Avery and... Um, Brendan Dassey, and I don't think Brendan Dassey is guilty, and I'm sure most of you who have seen Making a Murderer would agree that Brendan Dassey is not guilty, but he's at the end of the line for his chances of like getting a new trial, and is probably going to spend the rest of his life in jail for something he didn't do. So it's, it's crazy to see how one little thing like this, like a juror being dishonest, could grant Scott Peterson a whole new trial, but Brendan Dassey which is, I'm gonna have to tell you about that because I know you never watched it and I know you know nothing about it, but it's just crazy. Like the dichotomy between two cases, how one is simply more lucky than the other. So anyway, I did a poll on our Mama Mystery Instagram like a long time ago, and the majority of people who voted believed that Scott killed Lacey and their unborn child. However, I am not totally convinced that he did it, and in today's podcast, I'm going to tell you why. So is it biased? Are you going to talk biased, or are you just going to tell no, me? No, I'm going to tell you the facts um, as I came upon them, and I'll let you decide for yourself. I just think that when this case happened in 2002, social media wasn't really a thing yet, so a lot of... Um, a lot of like activity, I guess, was on the news or the radio, right? And so I feel like that really harmed his chance at a fair trial. Um, and so I don't think he necessarily received a super fair trial. Um, I think a lot of people already had one opinion because of what the media was spewing at them. And we've seen in political races and other cases how how the media can really skew information and kind of like psychologically um, manipulate people yeah to believe one thing so anyway let's just start at the beginning Lacey and Scott Peterson met in 1994 through a mutual friend and it was actually Lacey who made the first move Lacey was known for being very positive upbeat outgoing she had a huge smile she was like the life of the party everybody's friend she was a social butterfly very headstrong she was a Taurus so nobody was surprised when they heard. I'm a tourist. You are. You guys are a lot alike. Life of the party, big smile. Very I don't know headstrong. anything about all that stuff. But you just tourist. I know I'm a tourist. Yeah. Go ahead. So she's a tourist. That's where I lost you. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, nobody was surprised when they heard that she made the first move on Scott. While Lacey was in college, she would go visit a friend who worked at a nearby cafe, and one of the friend's coworkers was Scott Peterson. Scott Peterson was an all-American boy next door who loved golf. And when she laid eyes on Scott, 
She gave him her phone number and immediately after meeting him, Lacey told her mom, Sharon, that she met the man she was going to marry. Now, the funny thing is, um, Scott actually threw away her phone number because he thought it was a joke. And so she ended up going back and gave him her phone number again. So very headstrong, very persistent, very strong, strong-willed. So anyway, he eventually called her. They started dating, and as their relationship grew more serious, Scott Scott set aside his dream of becoming a professional golfer to focus on a more realistic business path. Scott studied agricultural business while Lacey studied ornamental horticulture. Do you know what that is? I had to look it up. It's like the design of plants and flowers. So like someone who like designs landscaping, that kind of thing. Um, from what I understand, that's what that is. They, under, or they appeared to be a beautiful couple. Oh my gosh, I'm short circuiting. Please excuse me. They appeared to be a beautiful couple who were perfect for each other, but not many people knew that during this senior year of college, Scott engaged in his first affair. His first of yeah. many. Okay. Yeah. Lacey walked in on him in their bed with another woman, and this was like shortly before they were actually supposed to get married. Lacey was understandably very upset, but she forgave him and chose to work through it, and they got married on August 9th of 1997, and then Scott graduated the following year. After they both graduated from college, Scott and Lacey opened up a sports bar called The Shack. Initially, things were slow, as they tend to be with most startups, but things eventually improved, and they were able to sell The Shack in 2000 so they could move back to Lacey's hometown of Modesto, California, and start a family. It was in Modesto that Lacey took a job as a substitute teacher while Scott got a job with Tradecore, a um, fertilizer like sales company. So he was a salesman. Lacey worked very hard to be the perfect housewife. She would keep the house very clean. She cooked frequently and loved to bake. She was so excited to eventually become a mom. Meanwhile, Scott went on to have at least two more affairs that we know of. And I'm unsure if Lacey was aware of these affairs, but Scott claims that she was and that she would become angry, but she would always take him back. And in early 2002, Lacey became pregnant with their first child, a little boy that they planned to name Connor. It's Christmas Eve of 2002, and Lacey Peterson is eight months pregnant. And this is where the story really begins, okay? That morning, Lacey had plans to go pick up a fruit basket for a Christmas Eve dinner that would take place at her parents' house that evening. Scott originally had plans to go golfing, but instead decided to go fishing at the Berkeley, Re Berkeley Marina, which is about 90 miles away from the couple's home in Modesto. Scott left the house at around 9.30 a.m., and he says that when he left, Lacey was watching a cooking show on TV. Martha Stewart was on doing a segment on baking something with meringue. It was like meringue cookies or lemon meringue or something. He also said Lacey was preparing to walk their golden retriever, Mackenzie, and go to the grocery store. So he stops at a storage facility that he rents to check his email and pick up his boat to go to the Berkeley Marina. He has parking receipts to prove he was at the marina, so there's no doubt that he was there that day. About 45 minutes after Scott leaves, around 10.15 a.m., Karen Service, a neighbor of the Petersons, finds their dog Mackenzie wandering around the neighborhood with her leash, leash attached. So she returns Mackenzie to their yard and closes the gate. She didn't notice anything out of place. Multiple neighbors reported seeing Mackenzie alone that morning with her leash attached to her collar. 
The times differed, but they were all within the 10 o'clock hour. Later that day in the afternoon, Scott tried calling Lacey when he left the marina. I feel like this is gonna be some Gone Girl shit. Go ahead. Oh my God, okay, so actually Gone don't, Girl- don't, don't give away anything later. I'm not, okay. I'm not giving anything away because Gone Girl is very similar, but still very different. Um, it's not, it's not the that same. That movie's weird. But I do feel like Gone Girl uh, kind of mirrored a lot of what happened in the Scott and Lacey Peterson case, like as far as Nancy Grace and like the wild, you know, the blonde, um, media chick who's mm -hmm. like, I don't know, really hard on Scott Peterson. A lot of Gone Girl mirrors this Scott and Lacey Peterson case. That's weird, okay. Uh, except for, like, if you've seen it and you know about this story, you know what's different. I'm not trying to give it away, but anyway. Uh, so when he left the marina, she didn't answer her phone, so he left her a voicemail. And in this voicemail, he appeared sweet and unassuming that there was anything wrong. So I'm gonna play you the voicemail that he left her that morning. So he calls her and he seems like everything's fine. He's expecting her to go pick up this basket that he was actually supposed to go get. Um, so anyway, yeah, he seemed like everything was fine. So when he gets home, Scott goes inside. He showers and washes his clothes because he, parent, he apparently got wet and dirty from fishing. He notices that Lacey isn't home, but her car is in the driveway. So a lot of people question the fact that he came home and showered and washed his clothes. But I mean, if he went fishing and he got messy from fishing, that's really not that odd. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's just one thing I want to point out because a lot of people thought, oh, he came home and showered. He's trying to cover up evidence. So that was one of the things that I think got blown out of proportion. So 5.15 p.m. rolls around and there's still no sign of Lacey. So Scott calls Lacey's mom because she's starting to wonder, he is starting to wonder where she's at. Lacey's stepfather then calls the police to report her missing. The police arrive at the Peterson home to find Lacey's keys, wallet, and sunglasses in her purse in a closet, suggesting that she may have disappeared while she was walking the dog and never made it to the grocery store like she had planned. The dining room table was meticulously set for a holiday dinner they were planning on having the following night. One detective reported seeing a phone book on the kitchen counter opened to a full page ad for a defense lawyer, which is odd. Scott was calm and the investigators on the case questioned him that evening. One of the investigators immediately had suspicions of Scott because of Scott's calm demeanor. He wasn't asking questions and didn't seem very concerned in their opinion. But one thing I, I did note when I was watching documentaries on this case is that Scott always grew up having a calm demeanor and even his parents and his golf coaches would make comments about how he always controlled his emotions. Like when they would be golfing and the team would be golfing and if someone had a bad shot, they'd you know throw their golf club or break a putter or whatever. And that never, like you have friends that have done that. Scott never did that. He just you know, picked up where he left off and just tried to do better. So, um, so maybe it's not that out of the ordinary for Scott to be kind of calm in a high stress situation. Detective Al Brocchini asks Scott if he had fired any guns that day. Scott says no. So Al Brocchini asks if he can perform a gunshot residue test on his hands. And he reports seeing a cut on one of his fingers. He tells the detective he got the cut while he was reaching into his toolbox. 
The detective then asks if Scott will do a polygraph test, and Scott says he will tomorrow, but he never ends up taking the test because his family urges him not to. His family urges him not to. So it wasn't Scott's decision. It was his family saying, I don't think that's a good idea. So he didn't take it. You know, I think just from what- If you're not being biased, why? If I'm not being biased, I think that lie detector tests can be useful, useful, but I think they can also be very flawed because they're testing an emotional response or a physiological response to a question. And if you're stressed and it registers as, you know, that you're lying, even though you're not, I mean, I know that they are very scientific and they're, you know, pretty accurate as far as I've, as far as I know and what I've heard or read about, but there's a reason they're not allowed in the court of law. And I think it's because of that flaw, that it's not a perfect science. So I think his family was just trying to keep him safe because the husband is always the first person that detectives look at. So, you know, I don't know, maybe they were just wanting to protect Scott from, you know, possibly registering an inconclusive test or something. I don't know. Okay. So it's also reported that there is a burglary at a house in their neighborhood and the details of this burglary become more important later. So we'll revisit this in a minute, but it's very important to note that a burglary happened that same day. So at this point, I want to pause and back up a little bit to tell you a little bit of a side story that overlaps with this one. So we are gonna go back to October 24th of 2002, exactly two months before Lacey goes missing. Scott Peterson is at a trade show when he meets a woman named Sean Shipley. He told Sean that he was single and looking and that instead of his name, he should put horny bastard on his name tag to help him meet women. Mind you, his wife is six months pregnant at home and he's trying to tell people he's single and it's so gross. It's so cringy. It's gross. It's awful. Sean was already in a relationship, but Sean did have a friend he thought would be perfect for Scott, a single mother and massage therapist from Fresno named Amber Fry. She gave Scott Amber's phone number and he called her about a month later on November 19th and met up with her the next day. They had a handful of dates and Amber even introduced Scott to her young daughter. They would go to the park and the daughter would walk between them holding both of their hands. And it seemed like Scott was natural with children. And it wasn't until December 9th, two weeks before Lacey went missing, that Scott told Amber Fry that he actually had been married, but that he was a widower and that it would be his first Christmas without his wife. What? He specifically told Amber he, quote, lost his wife. He didn't say how, and Amber didn't pry because it seemed to be such a sensitive subject. She recalled him sitting on the couch next to her, bawling and being super emotional about the fact that he had lost his wife. Now, I want to just take a moment to recognize the type of sociopath this would take to lie about having a wife who has passed away when in reality your wife is at home and she's pregnant with your son. Like, that just blows my mind. It is so fucking disgusting. I can't even like imagine the type of person that would do something like that. However, I don't think it's that like uncommon for a guy to be that big of a dirt bag. Like, I feel like I've come across dirt bags, you've come across dirt bags that you've seen 
like cheat on their wives or seen be with someone who isn't their wife. Well, it's not guys, it's just guys, it's girls too. No, it totally is. Yeah, it's absolutely both. It's yeah. guys and girls. Yeah. Um, so it's really not that like shocking or you know uncommon for this type of behavior. But given the circumstances and what happens a month later, it's just like, oof, this guy's lies caught up to him in the worst way. So whether he was saying these things because he had some sort of sinister plan or because he was saying these things just to get Amber Fry's pants. Either way, this turned out very, very badly for Scott Peterson, as it did Lacey Peterson. I, I don't want to discredit what ended up happening to Lacey Peterson, so please don't think that I don't think she deserves justice. I just want to get to the root of what really happened to Lacey Peterson and what really happened to Scott Peterson. So I'm kind of treating them as like two separate people um, just for the sake of this podcast. So when Lacey actually does go missing a couple weeks later, Scott doesn't immediately tell Amber. However, a friend of Amber, a friend of Amber brings this case to her attention when he brings over a news article about Lacey's disappearance. Amber starts reading this article and starts putting all the pieces together, realizing that Scott is the husband of this missing Modesto woman. So she becomes hysterical and is in complete disbelief. Devastated, she immediately calls the police. She doesn't bother calling Scott, she calls the police. The detectives on the Lacey Peterson case, Al Brocchini and John Bueller, drive to her house that day. She shows them cards that Scott had given her, presents, and pictures of Scott and Amber at a Christmas party together. And this becomes important later. It's this picture of them in front of this Christmas tree. They're posing like a friggin' prom picture and they look happy as all get out. Like they're just this cute little couple. And mind you, this is before social media. So it was a little easier for someone to hide an affair and take pictures without the fear of it showing up on social media and more people seeing it. So let's see. She tells them about the conversation that they had on December 9th when Scott admitted to Amber that he had lost his wife. But this story is more than just that. Scott originally told Amber that he was never married and had no children. When he admitted to Amber that he actually was married, he tells Amber through tears and sobbing that he had lost his wife and this would be his first holidays without her. Can you imagine like how, first of all, how shocking that would be to Amber and then how like how big of a red flag that is to detectives. So the level of audacity here is like blowing my mind and it's sickening that people like this actually exist. But anyway, um, the detectives grab onto this information, realizing that Scott had something to hide and they come up with a plan. They ask Amber to start recording their phone calls because Scott has no idea that Amber knows about Lacey at this point. Within minutes of hooking up the recording device to her phone, Scott calls her, but they end up losing connection and the call drops. So he calls her the next day on December 31st, New Year's Eve, and I have an excerpt from that call as well. Sounds pretty chill. So he's telling her that he is in Paris celebrating New Year's Mm -hmm. Eve at at the Eiffel Tower, that he's got these friends with him. One of them is named Pascal. They've been like running along the cobblestones in Paris and that he's like 
far away. He even says he's gonna call her something like nine or 10 hours later, like whenever the time catches up, so that they can celebrate her she New really Year's did? Eve as well. No, Austin, he's not in Paris. The most shocking thing about this phone call is not that he's lying about being in Paris on New Year's Eve, it's that he was actually at a candlelight vigil for his missing wife. The crowd that you hear in the background was in fact huge, but it was not for a celebration at the Eiffel Tower. Rather, it was a crowd of people gathered to pray for his missing pregnant wife. Is that not insane? Yeah, right now he seems guilty. Guilty is all get out. And I, I get that. Like, even me telling this story, I'm just like, dude, what a piece of shit. Like, your wife is missing and you're still carrying on this affair, pretending like you're in Paris. You're still coming up with all these lies. And he has no idea he's being recorded. And it's just like, oof, so cringy, so cringy. Keep going. So they continue listening to their phone calls for weeks. And you can actually find all of these recordings on YouTube. Some of them are like hours long. So I wasn't gonna try to include all of them in here. Just like casually talking? Yeah, just casually talking. He has no idea he's being recorded. He has no idea Amber knows about Lacey. So Amber, you know, a lot of people after this, you know, when she came out as like the other woman, I feel like she got a lot of flack for that, but she had no idea. And then offered to help the police catch Scott Peterson. So, you know, it's, it's sad that she kind of got vilified through all this, but in reality, cause she kind of deserves like an award or something for like gathering all this information for playing it cool. Anyway, so they continue to listen to their calls for weeks, trying to gather as much evidence as they could, hoping that he might crack. But then the operation was compromised when that photo of Scott and Amber at that Christmas party was released to the public and the National Enquirer intended to publish it. And they let detectives know that they were going to publish it the next day. So the cops had to rush to tell Lacey's family before they found out because Lacey's family still had no idea about Amber. So when they told Lacey's mom, she had an immediate emotional reaction and said, why did he have to kill her? So she immediately thought Scott did something to her. I mean, and I, I don't blame her for thinking that. Like all the puzzle pieces are kind of fitting right together. And maybe there's a few missing pieces, but the picture seems pretty clear. The following day, Amber Fry released a statement. Has she still never been found all this time? No, she's been found. Oh, you never said that. Well, I'm not there yet. You gotta keep listening. The following day, Amber Fry released a statement during a press conference, and this is like a pretty um, well-known like piece of history in this case, is her going in front of the media. Um, it's kind of sad to watch. You can find that on YouTube also. And just like that, Scott Peterson instantly became the most hated man in America. So what are your thoughts so far, Austin? I think that he sounds guilty. I, I know why he's the most hated man in America. Mm-hmm. He sounds like he wasn't very happy in his relationship. Well, and isn't it bizarre, though, that he sounded so happy on that phone call? The voicemail that he left Lacey? Yeah, but he's not talking to his wife. And he's not very happy in his relationship. No, when he was talking to his wife and the voicemail oh, he yeah, left. yeah, 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 yeah. He sounds pretty... Maybe they were just having a good day. Maybe. I don't know. It's interesting. Or maybe he was trying to create an alibi and... Yeah, see, I just want to keep going because I'm just... My mind's racing about it, so keep mind's going. mind's racing. Okay, good. I like that. So while detectives begin to focus more on Scott Peterson, police get a break in that burglary. From What's the, the date right now? The street. Um, this day New is Year's. after New Year, so it's now 2003. It's January of 2003. Wait, so will you tell me when she was found? Of course. When was she found? 
in April, okay? Okay, okay, okay. Now I gotta keep going. Well, earlier I said, has she been found yet by this point? And you said no. I said not yet. She's not found right oh, now. Oh, I thought you said, I, you'll tell me later, not yet. Yeah, like later in this story. Okay, so she's still not found during all You're this. so impatient. During all this in January, she's still not been found. That's correct. Okay, okay, go ahead, proceed. Jeez Louise. Ruining it for everybody. Yes, she gets found. Those of you who know this story know go, she go, gets go. found. But anyway, okay. So anyway, let me start over. While detectives begin to focus more on Scott Peterson, police get a break in that burglary from across the street. Stephen Todd and Donald Pierce are brought in for questioning. And without hesita hesitation, they admit to being the ones who burglarized the house, but they had absolutely nothing to do with that pregnant lady. And it's weird that they bring that up. They don't—they weren't even asked. They were brought in for questioning about the burglary, but without hesitating, they were like, yeah, we did that, but we had nothing to do with that pregnant lady. Well, I wouldn't want to be tied and nothing to do with her either if I burgled the house. I know, but they didn't even ask them about it. They just came out and said it. So well, to me, sure it's kind of like, mm, <laughs> it's like if, if the kid broke something and you're like, hey, where were you earlier today? And they're like, I was in the kitchen, but I didn't get into the cookie jar. Then it's like, why are you even mentioning it? You obviously did. That makes sense. You know? So anyway, it's just something to think about, something to let marinate. They also declare that they didn't break in on the 24th when Lacey went missing, but it was actually the 26th, two days later. But here's the problem with that. After Lacey went missing, news crews set up camp in front of the Peterson home that very night. So if they, if they broke in on the 26th, someone would have seen it. So I'm just not buying it. I think they did break in on the 24th, and I still think their story is really fishy, but the cops believe them and immediately eliminate them as suspects. And I have a problem with this because I haven't found any more information as to why they were eliminated other than them telling their version of the story and the cops just believing it. So with no new leads, they concentrate their efforts on Scott, Peterson, Scott Peterson's fishing alibi. Investigators get a search warrant for Scott's warehouse and storage, storage shed. His boat is in there and they find a homemade concrete anchor, which is not uncommon, but there was no rope attached to the anchor in the boat. Not crazy. I mean, it's not that crazy. Then they find a pair of needle, needle nose pliers with one hair wrapped around it. And this hair turned out to be one of Lacey's hairs. Kind of weird. I mean, it's kind of weird. It's pretty, pretty weird. It's just one single yeah, hair, but, and that's the only... I got, I got only... a pair of needle-nose pliers in the door of my truck, and if there was a hair of yours in there, pretty Okay, weird. but how much do I shed in your truck? It's over in my driver's seat and my driver's door. You don't shed over there. That's pretty weird, and it's in his tackle box. It's that's weird. pretty fucking okay, weird. Okay, it's me. weird. No, it's pretty weird. It's but... definitely weird, but that's let me point weird. out that there's no other physical evidence anywhere. There's none okay. of her DNA Well, he's anywhere. a smart man. He's a smart man. Keep okay. going. Well, whatever. Um, You're telling the story biased. <laughs> Mind you, that the needle nose pliers have her hair in it, but that's not even that strange. Well, I'm just saying, like, if, if there was a murder that occurred, why is there no other evidence Mind you, anywhere? there's a gun that was just fired Nothing. with casings there and wasn't. everything, and there's her there blood wasn't. all Don't over it. Don't spread false information. There wasn't. There was no gun involved, going, okay? There was, let me just put that out there. There was no gun involved in this keep case. Keep going, keep going, keep going. 
All right. They also found residue on a workshop table that appeared to be the spot where Scott made these concrete anchors, but it appeared that he had made more than just one, so they wondered where the other anchors were. They found four to five residue rings in total, but only one anchor, so their theory here is that he used these anchors to tie Lacey's body to weigh it down in the water. So then they focused their search on the San Francisco Bay. Day after day, she remains missing. Gosh, how do they do that? How do they like, do they just start scraping the bottom of the whole entire San Francisco Bay? I mean, that's impossible. It's impossible. So, um, so by the end of January- That was Scott Peterson texting Kelly, guys, sorry. It. <laughs> it was actually your mom. But by the end of January, Scott had also so had sold Lacey's car and began making inquiries about selling her house. Many people found this behavior to be odd, like it must have meant that he knew she wasn't coming back. But how do we know he wasn't selling her car or their house because he could no longer afford it? It was actually reported that since the police were holding his car as evidence, he needed a car for work. So he had to trade her Land Rover in for a truck that he could use. We really don't know, and any guesses are just assumptions at this point. With every sinister accusation can also be a perfectly reasonable explanation. So I just don't immediately find this behavior as suspect. And I guess that's what I'm trying to say with the whole hair on the needle nose pliers too, is that like, I think people are so quick to jump to a conclusion. And I know sometimes the most simple answer is usually the answer as somebody who hasn't watched a million documentaries on this here's okay. what i'm going to tell you okay, okay i think that not selling i think that selling her car months later is not that big of a deal i agree with you on that mm-hmm. finding her hair in the needle nose pliers and the come when you combine that and it was in his tackle box it's not like they were sitting on the counter at their house mm-hmm. combined with all the weird behavior that's fishing. it's looking suspect so my goal here is just to deliver the facts, but try to get I keep you, her on track so she doesn't give a bias point. And I'm not trying to. I'm literally, like, I can see both sides. I can see why people think he's guilty, but I can also see why some of this doesn't say he's guilty. Okay? Because okay? I'm trying to just be reasonable. Keep going. Okay. So, a few more months go by, and finally, on April 13th, Austin, here we go, a couple walking their dog came upon the body of a male fetus. A male fetus. A male fetus. Like a male baby. Okay. The following day, one mile away, the the decomposing body of a woman was found washed upon the shore. Oh, she was in the water. She was in the water. Now see, but back to all the other stuff, it's all making sense. Keep going. So DNA tests confirm that they were the bodies of Lacey and her son Connor. Okay, but... No, but. Just keep going. No, Okay, fine. I'm going to say it later, though, okay? Okay, that's fine. Because I have a really strong argument on this That's fine, but keep going. This part is tough to talk about, so... You got to let people form their own POV. If you have sensitive ears, you might want to fast forward 30 seconds. Lacey was unrecognizable. All that remained of her body was a torso and only parts of her limbs. She wasn't just unrecognizable as Lacey. She was unrecognizable as a human body. Because so, all of the water and everything probably freaking pulled her arms apart and everything else. Well, and also, if you think about it, if she did have anchors tied to her limbs to hold her down, <sighs> the current of the water yeah. and then the water just, you know, doing its process on yeah. her body. For probably months. for months, for 
what, four months? Well, have you ever seen, like, remember the torture where they drip a water on your forehead? No. There's a torture in some country where they, like, a long time ago. I mean, ago, I've heard of, Where like, they would tie you down and they, they drip a water on your forehead. And I can't remember. It's over a certain amount of time, it does crazy shit. Water's crazy. It's like yeah. a house. Water, a water leak can cause wreak havoc over time. Yeah. So, I mean, you can imagine. And yeah. so, the fact that some of her limbs were missing makes you think that maybe she was tied down by multiple, you know, like, had one on her arm, one on her leg, one on her other leg. Um, so, she also had on a pair of khaki maternity pants that had a piece of duct tape stuck to the pants. So um, she was found in the water though, so I think it's safe to conclude that the duct tape was placed on the pants before her body entered the water. But the odd thing is, Scott remembered seeing Lacey before he left and said she was in black pants. And multiple witnesses said they saw her walking their dog, Mackenzie, with a pair of black pants on and a white shirt on. So the fact that she's found in different clothes, but multiple people remember seeing her in a different outfit, is confusing. Connor, however, was more well-preserved and his umbilical cord was still attached, which indicated that he was likely expelled after Lacey died. He did, however, have one and a half loops of nylon tape wrapped around his neck, which caused discrepancies in whether or not he was ever actually born alive or not. These discrepancies came into play during court proceedings, which we'll talk about in a minute. Now, so now there was enough circumstantial evidence to arrest Scott. They track him down and begin following him on the highway. This part, I'm interested in seeing your reactions. Right now, I think it's full-blown him. Okay. Do you, at this point, if you didn't watch a million documentaries right now, who would you think it was? I would think it's him. If I didn't know the That's other okay, things that I know now, <laughs> if I only knew what I've told you so far, then yes, I would think it was him. But there's other things that I'm going it to talk be damn about. Good because you know you watch a movie and somebody cheats on somebody, and you're like, "This movie sucks." Uh. Oh so God. right now, you ought to be hating this dude. So the fact oh, that you're, I absolutely do, I think he's a piece of shit. But you're riding for him right now, so let's keep no, going. No, I'm not. Keep I'm putting, writing no, for on. facts. I'm let's writing go. for right, go, facts. Go, go, Mama okay? Mystery. I don't give a shit whether go, 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 Mama he lives or dies. He cheated on his pregnant wife and lied about it. He's an asshole. He's a definite, definite douche. Okay. Let's just get that clear. Let's keep going. Okay. So the police are about to arrest Scott. They track him down and begin following him on the highway. He starts driving erratically. And when they finally get him to pull over, they make odd discoveries. Scott now has blonde hair. They find... (laughs) Just wait. Just (laughs) wait. This is so crazy. They find three cell phones, $15,000 in cash, his brother's driver's license, camping equipment, snorkeling gear, and a prescription for Viagra. This dude's oh, out of here. That. This dude's out of here. Out of here, right? So when you hear these things, it I'm starts to sound like he was trying to make a run for it and escape, right? But... Sound like it? He is. Okay. Let's let's dive a little deeper. It was Halloween. No, and he was there just are trying. always two sides to a story. You have to ask questions. Okay. I was raised loving to read, to always ask questions, to not always just believe what you're told, to dig a little deeper, to find more answers, to ask yeah. questions. Okay. Go ahead. And that is what I did. So in an interview with his sister, she explains almost all of it away, of course. Scott said he dyed his hair in an attempt to alter his appearance so he could do normal things like go get gas or go to the grocery store without people recognizing him recognizing him and berating him. And in fact, he had met Austin with police multiple times with that hair color. 
there are pictures of him talking to detectives before this happened with that hair color, okay? So that explains that away. You think he's like trying to dye his hair blonde and run to Mexico? Okay. So it's not like he was trying to fool police. He was just trying to make himself a little less recognizable to the general public. He was also, he also knew he was being followed um, by multiple news reporters and he was keeping track of license plate numbers that were following him. He had even written plates down and faxed them to his lawyer before his arrest. So when he was being followed the day of his arrest, he believed it was reporters and he was trying to dodge them because that day he was actually heading to play golf with his dad and brothers in an attempt to have some normalcy. His dad and brothers invited him to play golf to try to have some normalcy. That was according to his dad and brothers, okay? And he had his brother's driver's license to get into the golf course that day because his brother had a membership and told Scott to use his license to get a discount on the green fee. Scott even called his brother on the way there and this conversation was recorded. During this conversation, you can hear Scott tell his brother that he's being followed by media and probably shouldn't come to the golf course. And I've listened to this phone call and even his brother is like, oh brother, like dang it again. Like he knew that Scott was struggling with this. So on the day of Scott's arrest, he was arrested in San Diego, okay, which is South California. But rather than the media referred to it as San Diego, they refer to it as he was arrested 30 miles from the Mexican border, recreating a widespread belief that Scott was trying to flee. Mm -hmm. So do you see how things like this can immediately sound like something that's more suspicious? Why did he have camping the gear, camping snorkeling gear, gear and 15,000 cash? He, he, regarding the camping gear, he had purchased that back in March. He enjoyed the outdoors and his family often went camping. The only reason he says it stayed in his car was because he didn't have a home to take it to. At this point, he couldn't return home because police had declared it a crime scene and they weren't allowing him to go back home. The cash, same thing. Okay. Just outdoors equipment. I mean, he had it all. And he bought bought it back in March. If he bought it back in March, why is he holding on to it until April? 15,000 cash. 15,000 cash. Scott's mom, Jackie, was going to loan John the money to buy out Scott from um, one of their mutual companies that their family owned, okay? And John was going to take over the payments. On April 8th of 2003, Jackie, which is Scott's mom, went to Bank of America to to withdraw $10,000 from an old account that she rarely used, but that Scott's name was also on, I think. Or, or maybe this was a separate account she needed to use it from, or uh, borrow it from Scott. Either way, she did not know her account number, so she gave them her old, um, or her social security number to look it up. Unbeknownst to Jackie, she was listed on Scott and Lacey's checking account as well. Jackie had opened that account with Scott in 1991. Scott added Lacey when they were married, but never removed his mother. So the bank gave Jackie $10,000 from Scott's checking account and the withdrawal receipt was entered um, as evidence. So like that's been traced, right? So Jackie paid Scott $8,000 in cash for his equity in the Dodge pickup and she paid him cash so she could, so he could better negotiate while shopping for a car. On April 12th of 2003, Scott purchased a Mercedes from Michael Griffin. He paid him um, with 36 $100 bills. Scott had $4,400 left of the $8,000 his mother had given him. 
and then Scott discovers the $10,000 withdrawal from his bank account. He sees the withdrawal ticket signed by his mom and he calls her. So then Jackie goes to Washington Mutual on April 17th and withdraws $10,000 of cash from her account. She gives the money to Scott that day to replace the money she took out of his account and she paid him in cash so the bank would not put a hold on the funds. So now Scott has roughly $15,000 in cash. Scott is arrested the morning of April 18th. He had yet to deposit the money his mother had given him the day before. Scott also had some, quote, foreign currency with him when he was arrested. And, weird. and that's all that they I said. I don't really care about that. I just think that's weird. Right. I mean, maybe it's weird, but... I mean, there's been times when I had like 100 pesos in my wallet. If you looked at my wallet, you'd be like, what the hell? Right. Okay. So same thing here. He was reported as having foreign currency to further corroborate their theory that he was running off to Mexico. But the two bills were photographed with other items and entered in as um, evidence. One bill was worth 50 pesos and the other was worth 20 pesos. This is roughly worth $6.40 in the US. This is not an unreasonable amount of pocket change for someone who had recently returned from Mexico. And mind you, again, San Diego, within how many miles of Mexico? I mean, it's not that, it's not that crazy. So anyway, ultimately this case, I just feel like I, I had to point out all those facts because just hearing it- That maybe it, does like away said, with the theory of fleeing to Mexico, but I still think he did it okay. so far. Okay. So you better get more out of the Don't worry. This is like Kelly versus me on this. I I'm... know. <laughs> well, yeah, it, it kind of is because I'm just kind of like, I'm giving you the facts as they were given to the public when all of this was happening. But I feel like there was a lot of things that were left out that still like make you think, right? And in a court of law, you're supposed to believe without, with, with 100% certainty, without a reason of a doubt, okay? No reasonable doubt that someone is guilty, right? Mm -hmm. And I said in the beginning, he was found guilty and sentenced to the death penalty, okay? So I want to know by the end of this, if you think he, he deserved that sentence, okay? Because I'm trying to like raise a little bit of doubt with some of the questions I'm gonna ask. So ultimately this case went to trial and even though there was no physical evidence that pointed to Scott murdering Lacey, the jury found Scott guilty of first degree murder and sentenced him to death, like I said. Knowing what I know about this case, I'm actually quite surprised that it came to this conclusion based solely on the facts of this case. But on the other hand, when you consider how much media attention this case got, this was not a fair trial. This was a trial by media. All of Scott's dirty secrets and questionable morals were exposed for the world to see. And while I agree that Scott is a piece of shit husband and didn't deserve Lacey as a wife, I just have a hard time closing the gap between adulterer and murderer without a single piece of physical evidence. I think the cops had tunnel vision when it came to Scott Peterson, which prevented them from doing an extensive and appropriate investigation. There are too many things that make me doubt that Scott is guilty, like, for example, the numerous people who admitted that they saw Lacey walking McKenzie that day after Scott left for the marina. Or how would Scott even have time to clean up a crime scene when the parking ticket places him at the Berkeley, Berkeley marina? Or how on earth would he get away with dumping her body at one of the busiest marinas on the San Francisco Bay without one single person seeing him? That I can throw away pretty quick. It, okay, how? You freaking load her up in a boat and you drive out to the middle, she's already unconscious or dead, and you put her in the water when in a cove. Okay, but like nobody sees her in the Kelly, boat. That's not that crazy. 
Come on. That's not that crazy. It's the middle of the day. It's not that crazy at all. Okay. She but, could have been in a trash bag in the back of a truck and tossed into the boat. I mean, that's not even crazy at all. Okay, but... Get out of here with that. What was the other questions? Okay. Okay, you can have okay, that. Okay. You can have that. That is just... What are the other questions? That's me, not crazy. Okay. Okay, you can have that. Okay? okay, you can have that theory. It's not proven, but you can have it. Nothing we're how about for. How about the fact that multiple people saw her walking her dog after Scott left and was already at the marina? He changed If clothes. he's... If they saw her walking the dog. Why, he's at the marina? Yes. I, I they think... saw her walking the dog the day of Christmas Eve. They saw her walking the yeah. dog. Multiple people came out and said this. Uh -huh. But for whatever reason, Scott's attorney didn't put those people on the stand, which is still to this day unexplained. Nobody knows why he never put those people up there. But that fact alone because the, the times, shuts it down. No, the times could not match up. They could say, yeah, we saw her that morning and he could have gone back and got her. Guess what? You saw her that morning. He just did a great job of hiding it. The, the marina is an hour and a half away. So you're telling me he Listen, left. First, let's go, let's go our shoes, okay? I leave. I'm going to Lake, Lake Clinton Lake. Clinton and Lake, I'm an hour and a half Clinton. away. I'm going to Clinton, okay? okay. I quote unquote leave, air quotes, I leave. Mm -hmm. You go walk the dog. Mm -hmm. Everybody in the neighborhood knows Hank. They mm -hmm. say, oh, we saw Kelly and Hank this morning. Mm -hmm. I come back home. Because I maybe didn't go all the way to the lake. But then how do you get a parking ticket for okay, the Okay, maybe for the I lot? got all the way there and I turned around. An hour and a half, Austin. That's yeah, listen, three hours. Listen, I know. So I'm back. Three hours. I take you. I take you. Sense. No, it doesn't. Listen, I take you. Whack them. Okay. <laughs> Put you in the back of my truck in different clothes. Drive back to the marina. Bam. Bada bing, bada bang. Four and a half hours later, you're dead in the water. It's not okay, crazy. How, how do you have time to clean up a crime scene? He, the dude was smart. Go ahead, keep going. That's not enough for me. Okay, keep. We're not. I'm not sitting here saying undisputed evidence like you're wanting, but I'm just saying that that story is not crazy. Austin, I can't ahead, even believe that you aren't like that fact alone. That multiple people that's who saw her within an hour. It's not crazy. Multiple people saw her walking the dog when he was at. He was clogged at the marina, Austin. People don't want to hear us argue, but I think that's crazy. Austin, I don't think that's that crazy. Okay, so you're telling me, let's- Let's, let's just let the people decide no, no, no. and keep going. No, I wanna actually try this, okay? okay? Let's pretend that you are having an affair on me, okay? okay. And then- This is fun. Christmas <laughs> Eve, this is such a fun, fun- Podcast, we gotta pause podcast. it. They don't wanna hear us argue. No, we're not arguing, we're smiling. Listen, let's pretend that you're having this affair on me and then on Christmas Eve, you decide to go fishing, yeah. okay? You go all the way down to Clinton Lake, I'm outside walking the dog while you are clocked. You have a receipt. I'm an hour you and a half away. You have a receipt yep. that places you an hour and a half away. Mm -hmm. At this, okay, let's pretend that's 10 o'clock, okay? Mm -hmm. And then around 10 o'clock, people say they see me walking the dog. Yep, okay? I'm crazy. I turn around, I head back. But he, Austin, it doesn't add up because he was calling her on the way back and then like people saw Mackenzie without the leash on and he's already an hour and a half away. So how do you explain that? How could he have not gotten there, got his parking ticket, turned around and came back and got her. They saw her, he's clocked at the marina, everything else. How is that crazy? To drive there and turn around and come back. He's smart. He drove there. He got his parking ticket so he could say, look, I told you I was there. He turned around. He came back. Yeah, everybody saw her. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he clocked into the marina. This is not crazy. I know you're starting to look at me. I see your eyes. You think I'm being reasonable. He, ca ca he came back. He got her. And then later on, 
He plays it off super well because he's a sociopath. Just like a few weeks before when he told that chick his wife was already dead. He, on the way back later when he's quote unquote supposed to be coming home, he calls her and leaves this loving voicemail so that way there's more evidence in his favor. I think he's smart. Keep going. That was reasonable and you know it. That's why you're being quiet. <laughs> Keep going. You just, you just okay, saw her and her get, get a point. I, I, get, I get what you're saying. Completely reasonable. Very smart killer. Keep going. Just get in there and keep going. Guys, That I just schooled her. Keep going. But that still doesn't hey. answer, Austin, how within that same hour they end up finding Mackenzie by the herself. Dog? Yes. Kelly, the, these people don't... The neighbor saying we saw her this morning. Yeah. yeah. When, when I think about it, yeah, she, he would have been at the marina. These people don't put all that together. They're freaking neighbors that saw a dog and saw her walking. Within days of her disappearance, they're no. saying that they saw... Yeah, we saw her this morning. We saw her that morning. It's no different than if, 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 if in two days one of our neighbors came up dead and you said, that morning I know I saw her. But, but there's just not enough time, Austin, because he left the house around 9.30, okay? He goes to the marina and gets a ticket around, that would place him at the marina around 11, okay? Mm-hmm. But at 10.15, Karen, the neighbor, found their dog Mackenzie wandering the neighborhood. 45 minutes after Scott left. I don't think that means anything. Austin, it means that she disappeared while he was on his way to the marina. It means that by the time he got to the marina to get that ticket, she was gone. Maybe she walked the dog early oh my and then God. they left. It's not, what I'm saying is not crazy. Obviously, the whole world doesn't think it either because he's dead and hated. He's going to death penalty and he's hated. Keep going. Our argument's done. Keep going. Our argument's done because we're disagreeing and you're not getting your point across. But clearly I'm not either. (laughs) Go ahead and keep going. Okay, but also... Oh, Lord. I think that because this got such media coverage that the fact that her body was in the marina was probably because... And I don't think this is that far-fetched, okay? So be reasonable with me for a minute. I think that whoever may have had Lacey saw that he was being placed at the marina and that was on the news so they thought well then let's dump her in the body and they'll tie him to the case like that he Keep was going, being framed. I have a question for you but I want to hear the rest of it. Well tell me what your question is. No I want to hear the rest of this. Well that's pretty much it that's all I really have. I okay just think, so who do you who do you think it was? I think that the people who who the burglars, the burglars okay okay let's talk about this okay <laughs> Later on, I don't know when. <laughs> all right, all right, all right, okay. Austin, I'm going to kill you. Oh my myself. God, why are you saying that? <laughs> it's on radio, everybody, if you hear it. Listen, okay, those same... If, if you guys are done with the Scott Peterson, Lacey Peterson story, the story's over. The rest of this will be a debate. <laughs> okay, and you could have ended it five minutes, ten minutes ago, because that was all a debate, too. Oh my god. So tell me what your reason is, the burglars. Okay, so these burglars were apparently recorded on a telephone call where one of the burglars was making a call to a family member, okay? These calls are recorded. Everybody knows that, but for whatever reason, one of the burglars was having this conversation and the guy on the other end said, what are you going to do about that pregnant lady? And the other guy, uh, the burglar, said, made some sort of comment, but the... the um, the prison guard that listened to it heard it and went to authorities saying there's a tape of this recorded conversation, right? Then when detectives go back to look into it, the prison guard, the guard, okay, the cop says, I'm not speaking about it and um, I'm not answering any questions. He like shut it down and the recording was gone. 
So the prison guard killed her. No, I'm saying that the the burglars weren't looked into enough, and that I agree with that. There's possible. It, it's possible. It's to, reasonable it's, to assume that the prison guard probably was threatened with his life or something, and erased the recording and so, said he wasn't going to talk about it. So two things. Number mm-hmm. one, I don't think that there's whatever the freaking saying is beyond our reasonable doubt. I, I don't think right now that you can call him 100% guilty, okay. Scott. But I do think he is the one, definitely. I think it's more likely. But I think with the whole jury and the whole what I think is an effed up system, I think that right now, yes, he's guilty, but whatever, you can't hit this world. The other thing is, explain to me real quick the burglar, because I, I got confused earlier. Whose house did they break into? A neighbor. A neighbor's so, house. So on, the, on, and they said it was two days before. So the, the, these people who were burglarized were gone on vacation. They had left... Um, for like a week, okay? December 24th, Christmas Eve, was when it's it's theorized that when Lacey was walking her dog, she came upon these guys burglaring this house and approached them because Lacey being strong-willed and headstrong was going to try and stop them from burglaring her neighbor's house. Did you say all this earlier? Because I feel like I did not hear that. No, I didn't say this part. Okay, well, this is interesting because yeah, you just earlier. Well, but it's not proven. That's okay. the thing; it's just not proven. It's just a theory okay. that you know those people who believe that the burglars might have had something to do with it. Um, they believe that Lacey, when she was walking her dog, came upon these burglars, and um, you know they, they snatched her up to keep her from tattling on them, and then and they brought her home and put her in different clothes. I don't know. See, I mean, that's where Scott Peterson. That's where it's weird. But and then, why, why is why is there hair in his pliers that was in his tackle? One box hair. You're going to tell me one hair box. makes him guilty? Kelly. There's no blood. There's no other hair. There's no other DNA. DNA, Austin. DNA. They're freaking married. DNA. They're freaking married. And you're telling me, like, so I you're think... telling me that if you had nothing to do with my disappearance, you went fishing at Clinton, Clinton Lake. Multiple people see me walking around Greystone with our golden retriever Hank. Multiple people see me walking him while you're at Clinton Lake at 11 o'clock. They see us within the same hour that you're at the lake. They see me walking and I disappear. And then they find a hair of mine in your truck and they... A hair of mine in the truck? The, the thing that you're not understanding about the hair is a hair in the truck is not crazy. A hair in the pliers of the truck and the door is not crazy. A hair in the tackle box... Listen, Did I say it was in the me. tackle box? Yes, you said in the pliers in the tackle box. I don't think I said that. I'm looking back. Look back real quick. <laughs> I am. But you're telling listen, me that that listen, would be fair to find you guilty? Listen. Imagine something that you're never around of mine, okay? My golf clubs. Austin, I never said it was in the tackle box. I said they find a pair of needle nose pliers with one hair wrapped around it. This hair turned out to be one of Lacey's. Google, Google where were the pliers? Because the reason that's important is this. Hear me out for real. If... Your hair was found in my golf bag. Mm-hmm. That's suspicious. Okay, but if one of my hairs was found in our toolbox, who uses our tools? You're saying Austin, exactly my point. Who uses our tools? So you're saying my point, but I'm saying. How am I I'm, saying yeah. your point? You don't use the tools. Well, I do. Chill out. Okay, <laughs> oh pay God. attention to what I'm saying. The point is, your hair is not in something that, like, if it's in the tackle box and she's never around the tackle box, that's suspicious. If a hair of yours was found in my golf bag, you're never around my golf bag, that's suspicious. How Toolbox, do we know? whenever you're... I'm telling you to look it up. I'm about done with this debate, everybody, because Kelly's... How do we 
know. She just flipped me off, guys. No, I didn't. She just told me she she just did, no, did a not. throat cutting emoji. Guys, we got to get off here. Oh my gosh. How do we know though? We don't know. Well, exactly. Let's end this. The people don't want to hear this. <laughs> Guys, we'll have another episode of Mama Mystery. When's the next? What, who's the next episode? I don't know. I don't know if I'm ever going to have you back. <laughs> right. Don't agree with, don't disagree with Kelly. Watch Mama Mystery. <laughs> Rate, share, subscribe. Say your outing. Oh my gosh. Well, no, there's actually one say more thing. Outing. No, there's one more thing I have to say about the update on this case. Okay. Because there's been a recent update. This just came through, guys. Breaking news. <laughs> Breaking news. It's Saturday the 31st at 2.54, and this just came through. In more recent news, on August 24th of this year, in a 7-0 decision, the Supreme Court of California upheld Scott's conviction. Okay, they still felt that he was guilty, but they overturned his death sentence because Scott's trial judge, Albert DeLucci, who died in 2008, had dismissed jurors who opposed capital punishment without asking them whether they could put their views aside to uphold the law. According to the law, jurors may be may not be excused merely for opposition to the death penalty. This is the meaning of guarantee of an impartial juror, jury. While a court may dismiss a prospective juror as an unqualified as unqualified to sit on a capital case, if the juror's views on capital punishment would substantially impair his or her ability to follow the law, a juror may not be dismissed merely because he or she has expressed opposition to the death penalty as a general matter. In the same opinion, which was made in response to Scott Peterson's automatic appeal of his death sentence, the court upheld his 2004 con conviction for killing his wife and the couple's unborn son, Connor. So last week, the court made a ruling in Peterson's petition, petition for habeas corpus. Oh my gosh, habeas corpus, which could lead to his conviction being overturned. This is a separate deal. Unlike the automatic appeal, which focuses on alleged errors made by, my, made by the trial judge, this petition can introduce new evidence to show the conviction or sentence was wrong. California prosecutors have disclosed that they will be seeking the death penalty again, and his first court date is set for November 6th. So. That's so weird. So, we'll see what happens. All right. All right. That was a long podcast. That's the longest one we've ever done. It was. One full hour. That's not that long. Put it in 2x speed and it'll be 30 minutes. Oh my. That's what it would sound like. <laughs> now slow it down and you'll hear what I actually said. It's a hidden message. <laughs> Are you going to give an outro? Yes, please, please, please. If you've made it this far, please share this podcast. I would really appreciate it to um, give it a new set of eyes and ears um, in case anyone hasn't heard about this yet. I would really, really appreciate it. So thanks for listening. We'll be back someday soon. I don't know exactly when. I don't want to commit because clearly I'm bad at that. So we'll see you next time. Say bye. Bye.